David and Susie dream of a steaming roast for Sunday lunch. Even just now and again, but since their son Adam turned 12, every Sunday lunch between September and April has comprised a beef and onion pasty, a couple of packets of crisps and a pint if they can thrash out the details of who's driving home beforehand. Adam plays rugby. He has done so since he was six when David and Susie enthusiastically signed him up, thinking a match every other weekend was fairly achievable. Now, in the junior Colts, Adam plays a fixture every weekend. Last week, the away game was two and a half hours away south on a bus. David helpfully offers to drive rather than take the bus most weekends, rationalising that there needs to be at least one parent there with independent transport, should there be the need of a hospital dash. Secretly, though, he thinks if he can get away as soon as the match is over, they might snatch Sunday lunch somewhere. It's usually an ill-fated plan since away matches start at 2pm and the coach likes the boys to be at the club an hour beforehand, so today it means leaving home at 10.30. There's hardly time for a decent breakfast, David wails, although a cursory glance at the man in in profile suggests he makes sure he doesn't go without for the rest of the week. Susie has everything in hand and has packed bacon sandwiches and a flask of tea for the journey. They both know that however hard they complain, neither of them would have their Sundays any other way. Adam is their only son and the epitome of their middle-class dream. David tells anyone who cares to listen that his son wants to be a surgeon, not just a doctor. Adam might have different ideas. He dreams of playing bass guitar in a band, but he's not going to get into any arguments about it, at least not in public. As his father says, that school costs an awful lot, And, well, what would any other parent say at Founders' Day at the end of sixth form if his name in the school magazine leavers list is followed by a blank space in the column most usually populated by Oxford, Cambridge, Durham and Edinburgh universities? Last year, Freddie Boyd caused a scandal by choosing to study something in media and fashion at Falmouth University. Apparently, it was an editorial mix-up, which resulted in his destination being listed as Gap Year. Yes, they do anything for their son, but nevertheless, a couple of years ago, they did make an audacious plan to grab Sunday lunch after a match which was scheduled for earlier than usual and was on relatively home turf. Barrow-in-Furness is a town which almost defies description. It's on the southwesternmost tip of Cumbria, jutting out into the Irish Sea. Geographically, in theory at least, it could be a subtropical paradise, washed as it is by the Gulf Stream coming straight up from the Caribbean but it isn't. It's famed for being the home of the British submarine building industry and being just down the coast from the world's largest nuclear reprocessing plant. This may explain a lot about the people of Barrow, why people who were born in Barrow rarely remain and why those who move to Barrow are seldom heard of in polite company again. David and Susie knew none of this. They moved to the Lake District 15 years ago and have had no reason to visit Barrow until now. They haven't shared their plans for lunch with anyone, more enlightened, so nobody is in a position to warn them. I've booked lunch at a pub called the Crazy Horse, David tells Susie. They say they serve meals all day, so that's good, isn't it? Adam is delighted because there is a Six Nations rugby match on the TV, which he would otherwise not get to see due to these unorthodox lunch plans, and he has seen on the pub's website that they show all major sports channels. Well, don't get overexcited, Adam, Susie warns. They aren't going to have a screen for every channel and rugby might not be the most popular choice. 
Adam looks as if he's about to retch at the suggestion that rugby might not be everyone's sport of choice, at 15 still unaware that the rest of the world doesn't inhabit his rarefied middle-class bubble. On the drive into Barrow, it is apparent to David and Susie this is not somewhere they might have chosen to visit. David is reminded of a rugby visit to the west coast of Cumbria some years ago. Adam was just eight, and looking out of the car window at the passing rows of drab pebble-dashed houses, he remarked with an innocence that can only come from a young child, Dad, why would anyone choose to live in a place like this? Today, Adam is plugged into his iPod and utterly unaware of his surroundings. The match goes well, and the visitors thrash the home team. David has already plugged the crazy horse's coordinates into the sat-nav, and they are on their way to lunch within 20 minutes of the end of the game. You are f- effing joking. Adam, language, please, it's Sunday, Susie admonishes his son, although secretly she's thinking a whole lot effing worse. David, did you look at the website before you booked this place? Well, they weren't going to show a whole road of boarded up houses on a website now, were they? David is torn between sheepish acceptance that he's cocked up and belligerent defiance. Never judge a book by its cover. We're all hungry and you can't go that wrong with Sunday lunch now, can you? You go first, Adam suggests. I'll stay here and guard the tyres. Unsure of why his father has chosen to park on the street, a glance across his shoulder at the car park explains it. The entrance is strewn with shattered glass. The only time the boy has ever seen anything like this was on an episode of Hawaii 5.0. David is not deterred and bounds in to announce the family's arrival. Hello, we booked a table for three. Stony silence. A table? We booked? Yo what? A table? David, I left my number. Wayne? The girl behind the bar hollers towards the kitchen, identifiable by the unmistakable aroma of stale chip fat. Do we take table bookings? This man wants to book a table. No, I don't want to book. I have booked, David says. Wayne appears, the greying string of his vest coming away in all directions from the elasticated seams, shows he's enjoyed as, at least as many of the chips as he's served. You're what, Bev? And then realisation dawns. Oh, aye, you're them posh lot that's booked a table for Sunday dinner. As he changes his posture, David is unsure whether he's raising himself up or squaring for a fight. That's us, David replies cheerily. I've set the dinner up on best table over there, and he points to a table in the corner. The pub is split in two, with a bar in the middle serving both sides. It's on the other side that the TV screen resides. Perhaps you'd like to go and watch the rugby while we wait for our lunch, David suggests to Adam, with just a slight smirk on his face. But the boy knows his father's games. OK, he says as he gets up to move, the look of sheer panic glinting in his father's eyes, all he needs to see. I've got it recorded. Don't spoil your lunch, David says before realising he's been played. Let's just enjoy our dinner, Susie emphasises her words, acutely aware of the company surrounding her, and then, less audibly, if it's inedible, I'm sure I can rustle up some supper when we get home. But it isn't. In fact, it's uncommonly good, although being glared at by Wayne and Bev throughout lunch is decidedly disconcerting. I could do this lunch thing more often, Adam remarks as they tuck in, still glued to their seats. It's terribly good for family bonding, Susie observes.